The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. guys welcome back to the tragedy of cinema uh this is our special universal monster series that we do every october uh today i'm not joined by kyle no in fact this whole series will be done by none other than art toast better known as my dad art thanks for volunteering to do this with me thank you for begging me to do this with you <clears throat> i've been lost my boy <clears throat> As, as you can tell, this is going to be quite a series indeed. Um, the series you'll never forget. Even though you may want to. Let's just put it that way. Um, but first, as always, I'm going to ask my dad a question since Kyle's not here. So, Dad, out of all the Frankenstein movies you have watched, and I know you've seen most of them, which movie is your favorite and interpretation of Frankenstein? The Monster. Which Frankenstein movie is my favorite? Hell to Universal. No. No? Mm. Even though this is a Universal Monsters podcast. Yeah. Uh, 
I'm trying to think because it's been a while since I've seen any. I'm, I'm wanting to say there's one of them. Uh, maybe it's the House of Frankenstein's got all of them in it, doesn't? Don't want it have uh, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Dracula in it. I'm asking you. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, well, then it can't be your favorite if you don't I remember. Guess, I guess I it's nothing to remember about. <laughs> so. Uh, I guess we'll let you think about that. We'll come back to you maybe next well, you, week. You, you, well, you ought to wait till I watch them all again, then I could tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but if we didn't limit it to... And Kyle wouldn't be able to answer that question because he probably don't watch black and white movies. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so anyway, so uh, where would you rank this uh, movie that we're getting ready to cover, Son of Frankenstein? I have, uh, uh, I really like it. I've watched it twice before this podcast, and I've seen it years ago. And uh, actually, in my opinion, I like it better than the original. And uh, I know I know the originals what got Universal really going with their their uh, monster series on that. But uh, the the filming of it is, and we'll get into that later on, is really well done. It's uh, most of your Universal movies uh, don't last very long. This not here last longer than most of them I believe mm -hmm. and so uh, I think it was very well done and we'll, we'll talk about some of the other things in there but uh, I, I really enjoyed this here The Son of Frankenstein and uh, if you guys hear a, a train in the background no it's not leaving to Transylvania or <laughs> anywhere it's we're actually recording in Art Toast Studio today, so um, if the audio is a little off or anything, I'll run it through Love Later and all that, but we are not in the uh, Tragedy of Cinema Studio. Just so. blame me. Yeah, <laughs> so we're we're on location with my dad. So, um, so Dad, let's go ahead and kick this off. Uh, you've been listening to this for a long time, the podcast, so you know the routine, and hopefully you can uh, pronounce all the words correctly because we had a little bit of a trouble here while we were warming up. So well, let's go ahead and kick it off. Let's see how you do. All right. Son of Frankenstein, and from 1939, uh, the director was Roland V. Lee. The writer was Mary Shelley. And this is uh, suggested by the story written in 1816, as uh, Mary Shelley wrote this book, uh, the producer was Roland V. Lee. The composer was Frank Skinner. Cinematographer <laughs> Greg Robertson. Editor Ted J. Trent Kent as Ted Kent. <laughs> Are you done? I'm not doing it. He's laughing at me. Send all of your comments <laughs> to the cinema of Tragedy of Cinema. The cast was uh, Basil Rathbone, who played Baron von Frankenstein, Wolf von Frankenstein. And what do you think he was famous for? What movie? Robin Hood. Robin Hood. He's in The Adventures of Robin Hood in 1938. Boris Karloff, he played the monster. And uh, he was also known in all these here, The Bride of Frankenstein, of course, in the original Frankenstein. Bela Lugosi, Dracula as Igor. Uh, Lionel Atwell was Inspector Croft, uh, and he was in the 1942 movie To Be or Not To Be. Josephine Hutchinson, Elsa von Frankenstein, 
She played in North by Northwest, which has been covered by the Tragedy of Cinema. And Donnie Duggan as Peter Von Frankenstein. He was in a movie called Suburba, which I think Peter, in my opinion here, while I'm speaking on the cast, I th as a little boy, I thought he did great because he was so more natural than an actor with his voice and everything like that. And I, th I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he acted like he was just a kid that was thrown on set and exactly. complaining. You know? Exactly, and it was natural. And uh, not talking plain and things like that. And so I thought that was pretty, pretty good. Um, there's a lot more of the cast that we're going to skip over, but we just wanted to hit, highlight the, uh, the main actors and actresses. So, Dad, did it win any awards? Yeah, let me here look at the note. Um, yes. In 2017, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. Um, it was one of the best DVD Blu-ray collection. It's part of the Frankenstein Complete Legacy Collection. Do you own that? Um, probably not. Mm -hmm. And then 2005, the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films nominated Saturn Award for the best DVD collection. It's part of the Monster Legacy Collection. Technical details, runtime, uh, 99 minutes. Most of these just last a little bit universal, last only a little over an hour. And I'm going to throw something in here too because with this movie, it doesn't just end abruptly. Like a lot of the movies we've covered, it's the monster dies and mm -hmm. the credits go up. This actually had a little, it wasn't really great, but I mean, it, it had a little bit uh, different ending than that normal, just the monster dies and here we go. Okay, sound mix was mono, uh, color information, black and white. Aspect ratio, uh, 1.37 to 1. Um, laboratory, Universal Studios Laboratory. Uh, film length, uh, 3,035 meters. Uh, negative format was 35 millimeter. And uh, the process was... Surfix? It's spherical, Dad. Yeah, spherical. Spherical. <laughs> He's been making fun of me. <laughs> and the uh, printed format was 35 millimeter. Uh, production dates was November. It started November 7th, 1938, and ended on January the 4th, 1939. All right. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do, without looking at any notes, give me the synopsis of Son of Frankenstein. Okay, Wolf von Frankenstein returns back to the city, a town named after Frankenstein, where his father was killed at, during the, the Frankenstein situation. And he goes there and uh, to live in the castle. And while he's there, he runs in and meets people. He meets Igor which takes him down and he shows him in there and he sees the monster laying on a, on a cot. And of course, uh, he's still alive, but uh, as Igor tells him, he's sick, literally sick. <laughs> and uh, so in the process, they end up giving him some, uh, setting up the laboratory and they get him back to his strength and then the deaths occur. There's already been a few deaths through the years, and uh, but... 
it starts up again. Right. And um, one thing people need to realize when watching this movie is Igor has been watching over him and he's basically kind of got the monster under hypnosis. Um, he actually is his friend, I guess you would say. He, he basically does what Igor tells him to do. Um, so very interesting. And also I thought when they go down and Igor takes him, because the laboratory is still destroyed from the original. And so the, all the equipment's still there and everything, but we're, it's kind of decrumpled because um, I believe it's the um, inspector comes and he says about the laboratory, he's like, well, you know, there's no roof on it. And he says, I've put, you know, whatever on t- tarp or what, I can't remember what he said. But um, I thought it was interesting that when Igor's talking to him and he meets the monster and he goes down to the crypt or whatever, and there's the, uh, the vault or whatever of his dad, and it said, here lies Frankenstein, uh, maker of monsters or whatever. Mm-hmm. He takes his torch and crosses it out and puts maker of men. So very interesting. So um, a little bit of uh, trivia about this uh, movie. Uh, the makeup artist Jack... Oh, dropped pin. The makeup artist Jack B. Pierce um, estimated it took four hours to transform Bar- Boris Karloff into the monster. So... I think that's kind of a lost art today where the uh, actual makeup, I thought, even though it took longer, I think it looks better than some of the CGI stuff they come out with today. I do too. Now, uh, having said that, is the, the maybe I'm going out of order here, but the whole thing was set in black and white. Uh, black and white movies, I know people cringe when they hear that, a lot of uh, young people, younger people anyway, <clears throat> don't care for the black and white, but I think it gives it more of an eerie effect with uh, the filming. As I watched his Son of Frankenstein, uh, I thought it was very clear and crisp, and uh, th- they play with the shadows too. Um, That's something else. The sets of this, there's no elaborate sets. It's just... Basically, they walk into the castle and there's a table and chairs and, and some dinners. There's like nothing hanging on the walls. You know, it's got them long, high arched uh, walls and ceilings. So even like the stairs going up, there's like nothing on the walls going and up. And all the, the steps from that there that's casting onto the walls. Right. Uh, they've done great with their camera work because uh, when they go into that room and they're talking, big old picture window, and you can see the lightning and stuff in the background. The the camera's back, which gives the makes the room seem larger than what it really is, which I think uh, you guys discussed in the Twelve Angry Man how they done that making the room look smaller by uh, lowering the camera work on it, where it makes them look like the room is cramped. This here opened it up. Another thing they done with the camera work is when you first see Frankenstein, the camera's sort of back. He's laying flat. But he looks so much longer the way the shot's made. And another one when he's laying on the table and they're giving a shot from his feet up and gives him that longer look, a taller look. Well, I also think if you want to go that route, that at the end when um, uh, he's went in there and, and uh, Frankenstein has uh, shot and killed Igor and you see Frankenstein climbing up the side of the, I don't know if it's part of the cliff that he's climbing up and he walks in there, you just see him, you know, come up in the background. I thought that was really well shot too. So Yeah, that's from the sulfur pits. Right. The uh, also they done shots I thought was neat from the like from the inside of the fireplace out into the room. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So both Claude Rains, who is famous as being the Invisible Man, and Peter Lorre uh, reported, uh, reportedly were considered for the role of Wolf von Frankenstein. Uh, Lorre's casting was publicly announced before Basil Rathbone was cast, so he was almost in there too. What, what, what would you think of him being in it? As, as Wolf von Frankenstein? Yeah. Peter Lorre? Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he fits the part. That's me, though. He's more of a... He might have done a good um, Igor. Igor, yeah, Igor. What about uh, what about Claude Rains? Could he have pulled it off? Yeah, he could. He, he yeah. could have. He kind of looks like him too. Yeah. So. Um, Boris Karloff became a father for the first time while filming this movie too. So <laughs> <laughs> he created his own monster. I guess uh, the name of the town where the action takes place is Goldstadt. Uh, in the first two films in this series, Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein. However, here it is called Frankenstein. In the two subsequent films, the stories would take place in another fictional town, Viseria or Viscera. So uh, that name keeps changing throughout the series. Uh, this film marks the final time Boris Karloff would play the monster, at least in a feature film. In August of 1940, he appeared as the monster in a celebrity baseball game with Jack B. Pierce in attendance. Pierce was a coach for an amateur baseball team and played semi-pro when he was younger. In the next Frankenstein film, in which Karloff appeared, House of Frankenstein, he played Dr. Gustav Niemann. Originally, the Samuel Goldwyn film, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, was to have had a fantasy sequel in which Mitty uh, confronted the monster, played again by Karloff, who played the villain in Mitty. Goldwyn saw and received authorization from Universal to use the image of the monster, and Pierce recreated the makeup. Stills exist of this of the film's director Karloff, Pierce, and Evan Karloff, or Evelyn Karloff, sorry, but it has not been verified that the scenes were actually filmed. In the Allied artist film Frankenstein from 1970, Boris was an elderly Baron Frankenstein, but the twist ending was the revelation that the Baron had recreated the monster's face in his own image, basically the face of Karloff. The last time Karloff donned the Jack Pierce-style monster makeup was in Lizard's Leg and Owlette Wing, a 1962 Halloween special for the TV series Route 66. Thus, he played the monster six times in his career, or six and a half if you count Walter Mitty. Um, also, those uh, don't don't know, the next film we will be covering is Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, where Frankenstein is taken up by none other than Igor from this movie, Bela Lugosi, and we'll get to that next week, but uh, very interesting uh, choice there. Going back to Bela Lugosi. Lugosi. Not Lugosi. Whatever. It's, it's my accent. <laughs> uh, he is... Dracula is who he is. But I thought he'd done a great job as Igor in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, <clears throat> we'll get to it here in the next little bit. Some people say it's his best performance ever. I was like, well, how can he go against Dracula? You know, Yeah, what he, he's Dracula. I mean, the, you think of Dracula, that's who you think of. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, plans were discussed to shoot the film in Technicolor, but the decision was made to revert to black and white. Both director Lee and co-star Josephine Hutchinson verified in later years that the film was designed for and shot in monochrome. Urban myth has it that Karloff's makeup photographed bright green and was a primary reason for shooting in black and white. An urban myth also has it that Dwight Fry, do you remember who Dwight Fry played? He was... Who? In the original Frankenstein, he was... Fritz, basically the Igor character. Um, that he was in the, the Technicolor <coughs> test reel and was subsequently dropped from the cast. Uh, 
In the late 1980s, a reel of Technicolor test footage was discovered in Universal Vaults, but was either stolen from the desk of the executive who was in possession of it, according to one story, or simply boxed up by bureaucrats and shipped to a New Jersey film vault, according to the film archivist who actually found the reel. Karloff's family home uh, movies shot on the set of the film revealed the monster's coloration to be grayish with subtle highlights and shadows of blue, green, and brick red. The brief clips show Karloff in monster makeup sticking his tongue out at the camera and pretending to uh, strangle makeup artist Jack B. Pierce can be seen on the CD-ROM, The Interactive History of Frankenstein, and A Hundred Years of Horror, courtesy of Sarah Karloff. So, there you have it. Any comments or questions so far? It'd be interesting to see one in color. Yeah, very. Well, I'll throw this in here. Have you watched the new Monsters on Netflix? No. It's not in black and white. It is in color. Oh, really? And um, I'll just leave it at that until you watch it. I'll get back with you on that and see what you think. Um, At 99 minutes, this was the longest English-language film in the classic Universal Horror series, which actually the Spanish-language version of Dracula uh, was about five minutes longer than this movie. Uh, Most of the films had running times of less than 80 minutes, which served to increase the number of showings possibly in theaters. So they wanted it shorter so they could fit more... Uh, time in the theater so they could get more money. Uh, Despite his frequent appearances in horror films, Basil Rathbone had a particularly disdain for them. That is likely the reason for his over-the-top performance. (laughs) Most notably in this movie is the scene in which he and Inspector Crow are playing darts. Do you remember that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Uh, I like when he stuck his darts in in his his army. Yeah, that was a spoof. The inspector done a great job. Yeah, he did. Uh, he had uh, those of you who haven't seen it. He has a artificial arm that the monster had. The, the some, monster had ripped off when he was a boy, about the age of the Peter right uh, Frankenstein. Uh, due to the lack of a prepared <clears throat> script, much of the picture was written just moments before the actors were to shoot their scenes. This was how director uh, Richard V. Lee was able to keep Bella Lugosi working throughout filming and build up. My page here, uh, the role of Igor, which never appeared in the original uh, Will, uh, Willis Cooper screenplay. Lugosi was forever grateful to Lee for allowing him to create what turned out to be one of his very best characterizations. After many delays, shooting finally started November 9th, uh, finishing January 5th in 1939, just days before uh, its release of January 13th. So the way that they turned these around that quick is amazing. Uh, Boris Karloff's daughter, Sarah Karloff, was born on his 51st birthday, November 23rd, 1938. 51. 51. And his first time fatherhood. Shh. Yeah. Um, Bella Lugosi's performance in this film is considered by many to be his greatest performance. Now, something about this film, too, with, with Igor, I thought, is he's funny at times. Like, when he remember when they bring him down to the, I guess, I would say the police station, about the, the constables and all the guys are standing there and... He takes out one and he coughs on that one guy. Spits on He said, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, in discussing the monster makeup for a newspaper article, Jack P. Pierce stated that the metal studs in the monster's neck were really electrodes, inlets for the electricity that brought the creature to life. This is the first film in the Universal Frankenstein series to show any wires actually being connected to the monster's elect- uh, electrodes. You know, the... Something you don't think about when you're actually just sitting and watching, right? I know, especially the first two. You know, one of them, they uh, they do they got these little things they rub together and little sparks shoot off of it to wake him up. I forgot which one that was in. 
Um, when Dr. Frankenstein looks at the monster's blood under a microscope, which is another great shot for back in the time, uh, the image we show is clearly red blood cells overlaid on the top of sperm cells. So they just overlaid two things together. That's what you got. Um, after learning to speak in The Bride of Frankenstein, the monster, Boris Karloff, is once again mute in this film. No explanation is given for the change. So just went back to no, no speaking. There is a pretty uh, interesting cameo by an athlete who appears in a small and credited speaking part as one of the burglars. Do you know who it is? No. Jim Thorpe is actually one of the burglar, uh, the burgers. B-U-R-G-H-E-R-S, not burglars. Uh, this film marked Bela Lugosi's first appearance in Universal Frankenstein series, but it would not be his last. Lugosi reprised his role as Igor in The Ghost of Frankenstein and portrayed the monster himself in Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, as we'll talk about next week. Lugosi also had a run-in with Frankenstein's monster while in character as Dracula in the more humorous monster flick, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein, which you can listen to that we did, uh, I believe, two years ago. Uh, so this film marked the first of three appearances by Lugosi in Universal's Frankenstein films. Four appearances if you count Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. So, uh, Boris Karloff <laughs> actually... Dropped the kid, uh, played by child actor Donnie Dung, and while he was holding him under his arm, who fell flat on his stomach and onto the concrete floor. Uh, little Donnie then had to be wired to Karloff to avoid a repeat fall. So. <laughs> Good thing he didn't drop him into the sulfur pit when he's hanging him over there. Right. Uh, this is the first film to feature the hunchback lab assistant Igor, sometimes called Igor. Um, who has since become an iconic part of the Frankenstein mythos. The original Frankenstein features a similar character named Fritz. <laughs> uh, Lionel Abel's uh, over-the-top performance as the wooden-armed, dart-throwing police inspector in this film was the inspiration for Kenneth Marr's comic turn in, uh, comedic turn in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. If you remember that, he has the... You know, it always makes the sound. Uh, surprisingly for a film as dependent on makeup effects as this one makeup supervisor Jack Pierce receives no on-screen credit for his work which is sad uh, Frank Skinner's musical score in this film with its slightly off-key horns and plucking strings replicating a human heartbeat was endlessly recycled in universal horror movies throughout the 1940s so there you have that uh, to add to this film's spook factor Universal Pictures scheduled its release for Friday the 13th of January 1939. Horror legend Christopher Lee rated Son of Frankenstein as one of his best horror films that he liked. Yeah, it's, it's really good. Because of the decline in Bela Lugosi's career, I guess after Dracula just went, uh, took a nosedive, he was originally cast for a very, very low fee. Roland V. Lee felt that Lugosi was being taken advantage of, so he fattened up his part of by writing more dialogue for Igor, so that Bella uh, had to be paid a more appropriate fee. Karloff had absolutely nothing to, at all to do with this, contrary to what urban legend was made up by Karloff fans turned biographers. So, um, Igor can be seen having a long, sharp, sharp pointy canine teeth in this mo uh, in his mouth for this movie. Uh, some say that this might be a uh, homage to Lugosi's Dracula, who he played seven years earlier. Uh, the claustrophobic interiors, uh, angular, uh, angular furniture walls, and deep, crooked shadows of the castle are staples of German Expressionism. They perfectly enhance the film's uneasy mysteries that slowly unfold for the viewer. 
and characters themselves. Uh, the huge mirror in the lab was used to direct sunlight toward the operating table as light was poor back then. They also used very large windows to let in the light. So uh, that's some of the reasons uh, they had the big windows and the mirror in there. Uh, the final film of prolific actor and director uh, Tom Ricketts, who was a pioneer in the film industry, died six days after this film was released at the age of 85. Karloff's scream, which I thought was amazing, uh, when the monster finds Igor has been shot... Uh, will be used three more times. It'll be used a second time in this film when the monster falls into the sulfur pit. It'll be used in 1943 in The Spider Woman, which was a Sherlock Holmes mystery um, as a murder victim falls to his death. And again in 1944 in House of Frankenstein, where it will be used as Daniel's scream as the monster throws him from the laboratory window. Uh, here's a little bit of spoiler alert. Uh, the character of Igor... Um, which was played by Bela Lugosi in the final film version, does not appear in Willis Cooper's October 20, 1938 draft of the screenplay titled The Son of Frankenstein. Director Roland Lee was annoyed at Universal low-balling of Lugosi, who was only being paid $500 per week because his, he desperately needed a job, and Universal knew that he needed it and they could get away with just giving him a low-ball number like that. So he kept rewriting the script to make Lugosi's character more central and to make sure that Lugosi ended up with a decently-sized paycheck. The Igor character died in the film, but actually returns in the sequel, The Ghost of Frankenstein. For unknown reasons, the spelling of the name was altered to Igor. In the credits, yet uh, the script for the even later Frankenstein meets the Wolfman reverted to the original spelling, Wygor. So there's that. And last but not least, uh, the monsters uh, scream, as we talked about, uh, was the moment when the wolf kicks the monster uh, into the pit, uh, Wolf Frankenstein. Uh, in the sulfur pit, Universe was so impressed with Karloff's scream that he was used in other uh, non-horror films, as we talked about earlier. So, Dad, what's your thoughts <coughs> on Son of Frankenstein? <coughs> oh, hold on a second here. Uh-oh. How do you feel? This is my opinion on that. I would. I prefer the monster not talking. I think it gives him the more of the monster. I know that it... <sighs> To me, in the one of them that he was talking to, he it's sort of humorous more, but I think it gives him more of a monster feature by not. I, and he, to me, as he was holding Igor when he was dying, you could see the uh, in his eyes and expression how how he felt toward him, and you can seem like he didn't see tears in his eyes. I guess I didn't mind him in Bride of Frankenstein talking. I liked it a little bit because it gave it a little bit more in-depth character to him when he was talking to her. He's like, you know, me, man, you woman, whatever he said, I can't remember. You know, she was scared of him. She's like, ah, you know, get away from me. Um, it's just, I don't know if they really explained if this was after Frankenstein and The Bride of Frankenstein. This film didn't really give you, you know, Igor, Igor said that he found him in the rubble or whatever, but it never really went into too much detail about that. You know what I mean? I, 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 it's Boris Karloff. He's he's good. He's got so many facial expressions anyway. But him talking or not talking, I prefer no talking personally. But it didn't bother me in Bride of Frankenstein when he talked either because I thought it was really good too. Which one did you like better? Um, the Bride of Frankenstein didn't have that lady that kept screaming <laughs> the whole time. Ah! <laughs> uh, now this one's very good. Um, and like I said, uh, the the ending of this film. Where you see uh, Frank, the Frankenstein's taking the sun, and he's 
is taking him upstairs. I don't know what he's going to do with him. I guess is he going to kill him? Take him into the sulfur pits with him? Is that what he's going to do? Well, that was my the intent, I thought, because when you watch the movie, because he even held him out over the sulfur pits, but then he he let him climb up. Then they let him climb back up. And um, the boy still had no fear of him. No. So uh, maybe it wasn't. It was just somebody that he had that wasn't afraid of. Well, him. I thought I thought maybe because him and the boy had bonded a, a friendship because the boy gave him what a picture book or something. He said, you know, which he got mad and tore it up. Though. Right. But I the what I took from that is when he came up there and he saw um, Igor dead. I don't know if he was taking the boy because that was a, the only friend he had was Igor up to that point, and he wanted a new friend. Yeah. Where I don't know if he was going to hurt the boy anyway. I think, I think it might have crossed his mind. That might have been his first intention, but then he was the only one that wasn't afraid, was his friend, right? so to speak. Well, then then Frankenstein drops him, and he's, remember, he's uh, <laughs> the inspector comes over, he takes the inspector's hand, and he's shooting at him, he's swinging the, the, his arm at him, trying to block the bullets. But but he's got his foot on the boy, and that's when Basil Rasbone uh, comes flying in, you know, and, and basically drop kicks him off into the sulfur pits or whatever. Um but here's what I'm saying. Usually, if, if you would have seen that and he, you see the monster in the soft pits and fire was going off of him and, and he's, he's dying, then it would have been in credits done. But after this scene, you see Frankenstein, you see his uh, his wife, and you see their boy uh, getting on a train. And he's telling the people, he said, look, he said, I'm giving you the Frankenstein estate and the castle. He's like, you can do with whatever you want, whatever you think deems necessary or whatever. So, And then the train goes off and then it goes to the end. But he, uh, those of you that have seen this, and I know I've seen it years ago and seen it again, but uh, the, the inspector gets his arm ripped off again, his artificial arm, is what Jimmy was talking about, and, and swinging it around. Uh, now, going back to Igor with the teeth in his mouth, uh, I thought it was a, may have been a good effect with that to break up his voice a little bit because his mouth's full of that teeth from having the... Dracula. Well, he does have that very thick accent. Yeah, yeah, he does. But I think it shadowed it or different from. Would you say this is probably his second best performance next to Dracula? Yes, because basically that's what you was reading here in the reports or the uh, the notes here that uh, he wasn't making very much money. That was all he was really known for. I know he made other movies. Uh, uh, what was it? The Black Cat, which the podcast has done. Which he done all that right. That was a really in. good movie, too. It, it, it was a good movie, but he still got that Dracula look to him. Mm-hmm. The, and nothing changes. The hairdo or the, the accent and things like that. And so I think he was. Uh, that was his part as Dracula. And he didn't, it didn't draw him into other, other uh, uh, characters. But I think the teeth in his mouth may have done that. Now, going back to the original thing, what did I think of the movie? I thought it was excellent. I had, it's a, it was real clear, crisp, black and white movie. <clears throat> the, the shots were done great. Uh, it's, it's good to see. It, to me, it seems so... I know it's, you can see the phony stuff. Well, that ain't a real tree or whatnot. But what they had to do, it, uh, it looked good. In my opinion. And, uh, but I think it's great. This is a movie. If you want to get your younger kids broke into things like this, watch the Universal Monsters. 
Now this here, that might be disturbing when they're ripping the guy's arm off, but uh, the movies they do now, they just gut them on the screen and don't, sh don't show nothing. Let me ask you a question. Is this the um, first time that two iconic, well-known uh, horror legends were on the screen together? As far as, like, Lugosi and Karloff. I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't remember if the Black Cat was before or after this. I know you had. I think it was after. I'm thinking it was after. Right. But I, may, I might be wrong. Uh, but I think, especially with our next film coming up, it's actually the first time they have two iconic legends on the screen with Frankenstein. They call it Frankenstein, but it's actually the monster. Right. You know what I mean? A lot of people get that confused. They think, oh, that's Frankenstein. No, it's not. It's the monster. It's Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein was the name of the scientist. But I, that's all I had that discussion with your mother the other night. Oh, no. <laughs> How'd she take it? <laughs> she uh, she gave up. <laughs> but the uh, but as you'll see in our next uh, podcast, and Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, Karloff gets top billing in that. Also, of course, it's Frankenstein uh, meets, meets the Wolf. But but I've I've always liked the Wolfman. That's one of my favorite all times, and I'm glad to see uh, what's his name back, Lon Chaney Jr. So. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend it. This is my first time ever watching it. Um, like I said, that's part of the reason we do this podcast, but also part of the reasons why I want to do the Universal Monsters because there's so many of them that people haven't seen that they should see because they're good movies. Well, five stars, how many would you give? Um, this one? Yeah, you can't do a two and a half. I'll say, I'll say, uh, I'll say four and a half. Four and a half. It is really it's, good. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I, Boris Karloff is Frankenstein's monster, um. There's no other way of looking at it. We're going to find out why here in the next movie. So, um, But with that being said, I think this episode's coming to close. Do you have anything else to add before we go we end this? No, I better stop now. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> All right, with that being said, this episode's coming to close. And that's a wrap. And? You forgot to say cut. <laughs> cut. You should have bought the clipper. Clapper.